Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. Three noble truths of the Buddha. Uh, The truth of suffering and the truth that addiction creates suffering, extra level of suffering in our life. The truth of uh, craving and the repetitive craving that is at the core of uh, our experience of um, addiction and that repetitive craving and inventories for the first and second truth. Last week, we started to um, discuss and went into uh, the truth that we can recover and that uh, recovery is possible, is available, uh, and that we take, we commit and we take refuge and that through our own efforts, we can recover in this life, in this lifetime, one breath at a time, one day at a time. Recovery is a choice that we can make and a path that we can walk. And it opens us up to um, tonight's topic, which is this path is the Eightfold Path and the practice of the Eightfold Path. Um, So Chapter 4 of Refuge Recovery starts on page 23. Once we have accepted the suffering and uh, established abstinence once we have done the inventories um, we open to this eightfold path the path to recovery welcome to the rest of your life you are entering a way of life that may be familiar to some but will be foreign to others the refuge recovery program is a systematic approach to training our minds to see clearly and respond wisely to life. This is a path that will need to be walked one foot in front of the other, one breath at a time. In the beginning, some of it may seem confusing or counterintuitive, and some of it is. But you will find that with time, familiarity, and experience, it will all make perfect sense and will gradually become a more and more natural way of being. The fourth noble truth sets out the way, the eightfold path that leads to the end of suffering and is composed of eight factors. The eightfold path can be further simplified into three sections. The first section is wisdom, which means wise understanding, of reality and wise intentions with our life's energy. The second section is ethics, which includes communication and community, actions and renunciation, and livelihood and service. The third section is meditation. This consists of effort, mindfulness, and concentration. Each factor of this path is a practice. You will be taking on these eight areas of practice. This is often taught with the analogy of an eight-spoke wheel. You could think of these eight areas of practice 
as the spokes on your wheel of recovery. Addiction causes a deep imbalance in the wheel of life. The suffering we experience could be seen as the wobbles and thuds of a wheel with missing spokes, or at least those not properly connected or out of balance. A full recovery will take place when all eight spokes are strong and a balanced or true. This will take some time, but it begins as we commit to renunciation, we take refuge, and we begin the practice of meditation. Again, it is important to understand that these factors are not a linear progression of one through eight. For most, it will actually be the sixth, seventh, and eighth factors of effort, mindfulness, and concentration that will be the key to coming into an authentic wisdom and integration of the other factors. So just pausing for a moment for those of you that have been practicing the refuge path, studying Buddhism, practicing Buddhism, thinking about your uh, entry point as you started this. Did you start with developing renunciation and ethics? Did you commit to the five precepts first? Did you start with mindfulness? I feel like so many of us, um, you know, Westerners come to Buddhism through the mindfulness door. We get interested in um, mindfulness first, meditation first, some form of meditation. And then we see, oh, there's more to this than just meditating. There's an ethical way of life. There's a development of wise views and intentions that uh, come through this door of meditation. As we apply our energy and effort to concentrating the mind, to concentrating the mind and being mindful, we begin to see more and more clearly. Mindfulness will lead us to the direct understanding. Understanding will lead us to wise intentions and actions. Mindfulness will also help lead us to appropriate communication and livelihood. Eventually, through wise actions and meditations of mindfulness, kindness, compassion, concentration, and forgiveness, we will come to directly know that our wheel of life is coming into more balance. With balance will come freedom from craving the substances or behaviors of our addiction. The Eightfold Path leads to safety, to a refuge from addiction. So just reflecting on our own um, process, uh, and if you're in refuge, most of you are engaging in this, thinking of this eight-spoked wheel. Okay, there's mindfulness and there's concentration. There's effort and there's uh, renunciation on actions and speech and community, communication, livelihood, intention and understanding, these eight spokes. And as we think of our practice and we really look at our recovery and see what, what spokes are strongest. Where am I putting the most effort? Has it mostly been mindfulness? Has it mostly been concentration? Um, how are my uh, ethics around how I communicate, around how I behave, around my relationship to money or sexuality? How are those spokes of, of the path for us? 
Um, when I look at my intentions of when I'm speaking, when I'm acting, when I'm showing up in the world, when I'm posting on social media, what are the intentions? How often are we coming from intentions that are free from the intention to cause harm, that are motivated by kindness and generosity? Uh, as we really look at our heart and our mind, what are you seeing? So I'll go through, as the book does, um, through the Eightfold Path and reflect a little bit on my experience with it, and maybe we'll have some conversation. The first factor of the Eightfold Path, understanding. We come to know that everything is ruled by cause and effect. The four truths are an ongoing practice. In this step, we gain insight into the impermanent, unsatisfactory, and impersonal nature of life. Forgiveness is possible and necessary. Everything is caused by, is ruled by cause and effect. Karma is not some philosophy, it's not an idea. It's the reality that we breathe. Uh, it's, it's just how we are wired, that when one condition leads to the next, how we respond to what's happening in the world, karma means action, it means reaction, it means response. How we engage with the world is our karma. I think it's a, uh, a real mistake to think of karma as what happens to us. I invite you to please think of karma, of uh, of uh, how you are responding. It's not about what happens. Your karma is how you act, how you react, how we, uh, how we respond to what's happening internally and externally. As we look at uh, the world, and, and this is connected with mindfulness, uh, but as we look at our own mind and our own body and look internal and external, we gain insight into the impermanent, unsatisfactory, and impersonal nature of life. We start to see that everything is ruled by cause and effect and everything is impermanent. And because everything is impermanent, there's no satisfaction to be found in sensual or material experience. It's too transient. We wake, wake up to that, and then we start to see, to understand, to have the clear view that it's not that personal. This is the human condition that we are in, and we share this human condition, and then we share this condition of addiction and the process of recovery. Uh, it's not your fault. It's just what it's like to have incarnated and to uh, live in this world uh, and have this heart-mind-body process that has become addicted. And so now we, we recover. Forgiveness. Start to understand, to know that forgiveness is possible. And not only that it's possible, but that it's a necessity. It's a necessity for our, recover, for our recovery. We have, to, we have to forgive ourselves and others. Resentment will lead to relapse. Hatred will lead to such unbearable suffering that we will use again, we'll drink again, we'll relapse. So we forgive 
to ensure our recovery for our own happiness, for our own well-being, we come to understand how to forgive and we practice forgiveness. Number two, intention. We renounce greed, hatred, and delusion. We train our minds to meet all pain with compassion and all pleasure with non-attached appreciation. We cultivate generous, generous, kind, and compassionate wishes for all living beings. We practice honesty and humility and live with integrity. So there's a lot here. The intention to uh, renounce greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed is clinging, it is attachment, it is trying to control and manipulate ourselves, each other, this world. Greed is clinging. Hatred is everywhere from uh, outright hatred, bigotry, resentment, uh, to the low-level hatred of pain, the annoyance to aversion. We renounce that. We, we align our intentions with compassion, with acceptance. We train our minds to meet all pain with compassion, all pleasure with non-attached appreciation. This is what we're doing in meditation. Mindfulness is a in, intentional intervention on the mind and the heart and the human body's natural tendency to craving and greed. We meditate our way to compassion. We can't think our way there. We have to train the mind. The natural human tendency, addict tendency, is to meet pain with hatred, to want to avoid it, to ignore it, to suppress it, to medicate it to drink it away, to eat it away, to fuck it away, whatever our addiction uh, has manifested as. We have to learn to meet pain with compassion, and this is radical. We have to learn how to be uncomfortable uh, that, and set that intention as we become uncomfortable to not meet it with hatred, but to meet it with compassion. We cultivate the intention to be generous, to be kind, to be compassionate. And not just for the people that we like, but for all living beings. We start to see, as we see our own heart and our own mind and our own process of suffering around addiction, we see this is universal. We're not separate. We're not alone. We're not special in that way. Everyone is suffering. Everyone is worthy of compassion, of kindness, of generosity. We develop the intention, we train the mind to be honest, that we practice honesty, and we cover this more in communication. When, when, what kind of honesty do we practice? And we practice humility. Humility is not something that we can just do, but we have to constantly cultivate and practice and, and reframe 
Sometimes it's as simple as, I might be wrong. Of course, we all always think we're right. But some of the, the simple humility is that, that, that simple feeling of, I might be wrong. I could be mistaken. And live with integrity. Integrity in the, you know, is, is honesty and is uh, transparency and taking full responsibility. Number three, communication, community. We take refuge in the community as a place to practice wise communication and to support others on their paths. We practice being honest and wise and careful with our communications, asking for help from the community, allowing others to guide us through the process. We practice openness, honesty, and humility about the difficulties and the successes that we experience. This is so core. We need each other. We need uh, communities. We need to develop unity in our communities. We need to see the difficulties as opportunities for growth, for compassion, for forgiveness. We need to have the humility to... Uh, be guided on the path, allow others to guide us through this process. And to the community was a place to be of service. The Buddha was so clear about what he taught as, is, as a relational process of awakening. That this awakening, this recovering, this healing that we're doing is done in relationship. It's not done in isolation. We don't go off and meditate by ourselves in a cave. We come into community. We go to our meetings. We show up. And sometimes we fuck up and we ask for forgiveness. And sometimes we're the annoying one in the group and we allow people to tolerate us and to love us until we learn to behave more skillfully. And sometimes we're there and it's our opportunity to be the patient, the tolerant, the loving force for the new people who are coming in. They don't know how to uh, behave yet, don't have the integrity. It's such a long process. We have to be patient with each other. And we learn to do that through how we show up and we keep showing up. And that community is a place to be uh, honest and humble about the difficulties. You know, when we're in our meetings and we're sharing about the difficulties that we're going through, it's appropriate to do that. You know, it's therapeutic, it's healthy to be honest, to admit I'm suffering, I'm going through these difficulties. It's also appropriate to show up and say, I'm experiencing this wonderful success. Uh, and there's a way to do that where it's not bragging, it's not ego, it's just honest, humble uh, transparency with each other. Number four, action engagement. We purify our actions, letting go of the behaviors that cause harm. The minimum commitment necessary for the path towards recovery and freedom 
is renunciation of violence, of dishonesty, of sexual misconduct, and of intoxication. The minimum necessary. Compassion, non-attached appreciation, generosity, kindness, honesty, integrity, and service become our guiding principles. This is the five precepts. This is the um, very low-level renunciation. We have to learn how to tell the truth. Honesty, not stealing and not lying. We have to practice nonviolence, not hurting ourselves, not hurting others, not killing, not, uh, not intentionally causing harm. Again, humility is all through this. We're not going to do this perfectly, but we set our intention. We say, I'm going to try to live by this integrity of nonviolence. I'm going to try to live by this uh, wisdom of honesty. I'm going to try to live... Uh, and, and to engage in my relationships in a way that doesn't intentionally cause harm, that's honest, that's loving, that's friendly, that uh, has integrity around it, to avoid misconduct. And of course, the fifth precept, which we all need to take no matter what uh, form of addiction we have, is abstinence from recreational drug and alcohol use. Now, if you're a drug addict, if you're an alcoholic, you know this very well, that it's a necessity to have abstinence from drugs and alcohol. Now, if your addiction has manifested around food or around money, around people, codependency, um, uh, or around sex, these other behavior-based addictions, process addictions, Sometimes it's not as clear of why we need to maintain abstinence from recreational drugs and alcohol. There are many uh, addicts that are not uh, addicted to alcohol or substances, but addicted to process or behavior. In order for mindfulness, the mindfulness-based intervention, the renunciation, the wisdom that we're developing through our meditative lifestyle and refuge recovery, uh, abstinence is necessary so that we can be mindful. And this is the fifth precept. This is the renunciation that is suggested. Number five, livelihood and service. We try to be of service to others whenever possible, using our time, energy, and resources to help create positive change. We work towards securing a source of income and livelihood that causes no harm. Service is so important and it's so, um, you know, we're, we're born into this self-centeredness. The human condition uh, has a lot of I, me, mine attachment. Inherently self-centered human beings. Addicts are usually an even more extreme example of, of self-centeredness. We have to practice, how can I help? How can I be of service? How can I be generous? To break the suffering that that self-centeredness manifests as, creates in our lives. Service is not just a good idea, it's a necessity for our recovery. 
And when it comes towards our relationship to money, we work towards securing. We set the intention, I'd like to uh, earn money in a way that's not causing harm to anyone. And so if you find you get sober, you come into recovery, um, and you have a job that you know isn't very skillful, very wholesome, you're causing harm in some way or another, you're dishonest in your work, or you're you're a drug dealer or a you know assassin or something, um, then we work towards securing a livelihood. And some, maybe it takes some time, and it's a process to uh, get into right livelihood and to finding a way to make a living that isn't causing harm to ourselves or others, that isn't creating negative karma for us. Um, so we we work towards that. I, you know, I want to be really clear, like. In refuge recovery, we try to be non-judgmental and open and accepting of everyone from every background, wherever you're coming from. And um, uh, please know that you're always welcome, regardless of of how you're earning a living, and that we will gently encourage you to consider uh, finding a way to make a living that will will feel better, will be uh, more supportive of your recovery. Number six, effort, energy. We commit to the daily disciplined practices of meditation, yoga, exercise, wise actions, kindness, forgiveness, generosity, compassion, appreciation, and the moment-to-moment mindfulness of feelings, emotions, thoughts, and sensations. It's a lot, right? Let's see what we got here. Meditation, yoga, exercise, wise actions, kindness, forgiveness, generosity, compassion, appreciation, and the moment-to-moment mindfulness of feelings, emotions, thoughts, and sensations. So it's a list of 10 different things right there, but it's all meditation. All of it. Mindfulness in sitting, in moving, in exercise, our actions, our attitude of kindness and forgiveness. The transformation that we're undertaking as we enter into recovery is a big one. It's a big transformation. And um, it's going to take a lot of work. It's so interesting, you know, just pausing for a moment and remembering how hard we were willing to work, how much effort we would put into our active addictions. What would you do for a fix, for a drink, for a... whatever it was your addiction was manifesting as? How far would you drive? How committed would you be? How early were you at the liquor store in the morning? People, you know, are like, I, I can't get up early and meditate. How early did you get booze in the morning? I can't go to a meeting after work. How often did you have to, uh, you know, cop after work if you even had a job when you were in active addiction? The effort that we're going to have to take, if we've, I think, I think for most of us, if we put a percentage of the effort that we put into addiction, into our recovery, 
We will develop mindfulness. We will develop kindness. We will develop compassion. All of them take work. None of it's going to happen by itself. It all is going to take effort and energy. It's a commitment. It's a practice. This is not a path that believes in magically removing your cravings. You have to do the work yourself. And we can. Everyone can. We have the ability. It's do we have the willingness to put in the effort. Through effort and energy, we develop the skillful means of knowing how to apply the appropriate meditation or action to the given circumstances. Now, I know there's that list of the 10 things there. And then it can be confusing and people ask me all of the time, well, where do I start? You know, our suggestion in Refuge is start alternating mindfulness, simple mindfulness practices with heart practices. Start with forgiveness. It's so important to learn to be present here and loving, forgiving. So we alternate forgiveness, mindfulness, forgiveness, mindfulness. And then we start saying, oh, I've, I've, I'm still doing that, but let me add in some loving kindness. Let me add in some compassion. We can do this practice um, and you find your way with it. Number seven. Number seven is mindfulness meditations. We develop wisdom through practicing formal mindfulness meditations. This leads to seeing clearly and healing the root causes and conditions that lead to the suffering of addiction. We practice present time awareness in all aspects of our lives. We take refuge in the present. In the previous effort, it said, moment-to-moment -moment mindfulness of feelings, emotions, thoughts, and sensations. Formal and informal mindfulness. Mindfulness is a perfect intervention for addiction. There are lots of different mindfulness, lots of different meditation practices. Uh, the, what the Buddha taught and the way that I've framed it here in Refuge Recovery is very specifically designed for recovery from addiction. Um, there's lots of cool meditations that make you feel good, that distract you, that um, relax you, and feel free, indulge in, in whatever kind of meditation practice you want. But if your goal is to heal the root causes and conditions, if your goal is to see clearly craving as it arises, you're not going to get that from distracting yourself. You're going to get that from turning towards. Mindfulness has us turn towards what's happening. How does it feel? And how am I responding to that? Oh, there's craving here. And then we see the impermanent, impersonal, unsatisfactory nature of craving and aversion and self-centeredness. Mindfulness is the solution and it takes a lot of effort and it um, 
you know, and it has to be practiced appropriately, you know, the way that the meditations are gradually expanded from the first foundation to the second, to the third, to the fourth, integrating walking meditation and eating meditation and every aspect of our life. This is a necessity. This is how we practice recovering, healing, and waking up. We spend a lot of our lives, most of us, uh, trying to avoid the present because the present felt boring or unbearably painful. Or So much of what mindfulness is asking us to do is so radical, which is take refuge in the here and the now. Right now it's like this, it feels like this. Sounds and smells and tastes like this, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. I'm craving for it to be different. I'm aversive to the way that it is, and I practice tolerating it and accepting it just as it is. The more we can do that, the more we will maintain our abstinence and our recovery. I'm not trying to say it's easy. I'm just trying to uh, share that it's possible and that it's possible. It's been possible for me and so many of you and for millions of people for the last thousands of years have walked this path, this path of healing and awakening. Number eight, concentration meditations. We develop the capacity to focus the mind on a single object, such as the breath or a phrase. Training the mind through the practices of loving kindness, compassion, and forgiveness to focus on the positive qualities we seek to uncover. We utilize concentration at times of temptation or craving in order to abstain from acting unwisely. We develop this skill. This is connected to the sixth factor, the effort of concentration, whether we're concentrating on our breath, coming back over and over, coming back to the present, coming back to the body or uh, concentrating on a phrase. Even when we're developing these, uncovering these positive qualities of loving kindness, of compassion, we're doing that through concentrating the mind, saying over and over, may all beings be happy. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be free from suffering. As you repeat those phrases over and over, you send it to yourself, to your friends, to your family, to your enemies. You develop a concentrated mind, bringing the attention back to the phrase over and over, choosing that phrase, choosing that neuro pathway, developing that wise thought pattern, uncovering that aspect of your own wise heart. Forgiveness is a concentration meditation by saying over and over and over, I forgive you as much as I can in this moment. Please forgive me. I forgive myself as much as I can in this moment. We are concentrating the mind on this uh, letting go, forgiving, relinquishing resentment. And eventually, the heart opens, the mind becomes trained, 
and we free ourselves from the suffering of resentment, of ill will, of hatred. This last uh, sentence is so important. There's a whole section in the book here, maybe I talked about it a little bit last week, where we talk about um, breaking the addiction to our minds. Now, when you're about to relapse, when you're about to use, when you're about to act out, it's a thought. The mind says, you should drink, you should use, you should steal, you should lie, you should cheat, you should... It's a thought. The mind is the forerunner of all things. It arises in our mind. Now, if we're addicted to our minds, if we're identified, if we believe, if we obey our minds all of the time, of course, at some point, you're going to relapse because your mind is going to say, do that. Concentration and even just the simple breath awareness, when your mind says, gives you some bad advice, the craving, the obsession comes up, Concentration is disengaging from the mind, coming back to the breath, or replacing the thought with a positive thought, with a forgiveness, with a compassion, with a loving kindness, with an equanimity. So we utilize concentration to be able to direct our attention. We develop that skill gradually, and then we utilize the skill of concentration when you're in temptation, when you're in craving, when and maybe it's craving for your uh, addiction. Um, maybe it's a different kind of craving. It's just a, a material or a sensual craving that's going to lead you to a place of suffering. We can redirect the attention. We can say, that is not a wise thought. This is not a healthy or appropriate desire. And we can disengage. All of this meditative path, all of this Eightfold Path, all of the Buddhist's recovery process takes a lot of humility. Because we can read through this list of eight things and feel overwhelmed and feel, uh, you know, perfectionist about it, like, oh, I got to do that perfectly. Nobody does this perfectly. But we make progress as we develop it, we tighten each spoke, we uh, reinforce each spoke, we become more and more mindful, more and more ability to concentrate, more and more ethical in our actions and our speech and our livelihood, and more and more often we're seeing clearly and responding wisely. And more and more often we're coming from a wholesome and a wise, a kind, a generous, a compassionate place instead of a fear-based, self-centered, angry place. And this recovery happens slowly. It happens one moment at a time. But there's a cumulative effect of these practices and of this path. And as you do it, uh, disciplined, daily, go to meetings, do the meditation, be of service even when you don't feel like it, pick up the phone and check on each other even when you don't feel like it, write your inventory. It's so much of it is counter-instinctual. Like, I don't feel like doing that. Do it anyways for your recovery and for the benefit of others, the people that will come along and will benefit from your experience and uh, your recovery. 
So eight spokes, eight folds, eight aspects of our lives, four noble truths. The treatment process of refuge recovery is living this eightfold path, learning it, applying it, experiencing it. I'd love to um, open up to any questions that you have as you reflect on your relationship to refuge and where you're at in your process, what uh, fold are you focusing on, questions about meditation. And as we go forward in the next eight weeks, I will take each uh, aspect and go more in detail into them uh, one through eight. So if you have questions, easier for me to answer on the Facebook or the YouTube channel. If you post your comments, I'll be able to see them. I can actually bring them onto the screen. Any questions or comments? About refuge, about the Eightfold Path. I may be having an issue with my um, seeing the comments. I can see them, but it keeps flip-flopping. One moment it tells me that there are 50 people tuned in. The next people time moment there are 16 people tuned in. So I think that there's a, maybe a little glitch on the streaming to the Facebook and the YouTube. But if you have any questions, I'm totally open to reflecting on them with you. All right, well, I don't know if nobody's um, commenting or it's just not coming through. Okay. Scene one, here it comes. A comment is that it says, I'm still afraid of practicing my distress, maybe practicing with my distress. How do I acknowledge or recognize my addictive thoughts without buying into them? John, this is um, one of the reasons why in the beginning we learn to ignore our minds by paying attention to the breath and the concentration practices, because we kind of know like a lot of the fake news, misinformation that our mind is giving us. And um, then we open in the second foundation and the third foundation. And maybe it's as simple as bringing a kind of healthy skepticism to uh, our mind and some of what uh, our thoughts are, our addictive thoughts, without buying into them. I also believe that this is a core um, function of sangha and mentorship is that um, you know we don't have to do it alone we can you know call up the mentor call up somebody from the sangha and say you know i'm having this thought this addictive thought uh, and 
it's trying to convince me that it's not that, and, and by running it by someone else uh, can be very helpful. It's one of the reasons why we have each other and why we need each other. Um, and then you will develop the discernment. The wisdom will come in time, in meditation, where you'll be able to identify what thoughts are wise and to be trusted, and what thoughts are unwise and are more addictive thoughts, and that they're not worth buying into. That, that will come over the months and years of your meditation practice. Hope that's helpful. Uh, somebody saying just celebrated, Slim just celebrated first year clean after 15 years of IV drug use. Meditation has changed my life and led to non-dual understanding. Do you have any experience with this? Um, comment, they're commenting on Advaita Vedanta. Um, I do, I'm aware of it, and um, I do have some experience and have practiced it some, but since we're having a refuge recovery com conversation, one of the kind of principles that we are developing and have developed in refuge is that as a program, we don't have any uh, opinions on other traditions. Uh, I have personal opinions, but since I'm speaking kind of as refuge right now, I can't share my opinions with you. Uh, if you'd like to, you know, email me um, or reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, I'd be happy to communicate with you about that, Slim. Uh, the next comment, and I'll actually put this one on the broadcast. Let's see how that goes. Adina wants to know how often do you recommend meditating, and is there a time of day that you prefer? I recommend meditating every day, developing a regular practice, and um, I think that a goal in the beginning is about a 20 minutes, um, 20 minutes a day is, is the beginning, and then moving on to a 30 or a 45 minute daily practice. And um, I prefer mornings. I think that usually if you start your day with a meditation practice, that is ideal. Train your mind every morning before you get too busy and forget about it. And, um, and then also go to meetings and get another meditation in the afternoon or the evening. That's the suggestion. Um, same person asking, how long has Refuge been around? I developed the Refuge recovery process um, over 10 years ago, more like 12 years ago, 2008 or so. And um, we had it just in Los Angeles for the first few years. And then um, in 2015, uh, no, 2014, we're going on six years, um, the Refuge Recovery book came out. And it's been, for the last six years, a kind of national thing with hundreds of meetings around the country. Um, Somebody's asking a couple more questions. For those of us struggling with social distancing, let's put that up. Hi, Dana or Dana, Dana. For those of us struggling with social distancing right now, are there any meditations that are particularly beneficial?
Um, I mean, my first feeling is like, yes, all of them, any of them, particularly useful. I would say probably loving kindness, um, developing this attitude of friendliness towards yourself. May I be at ease just as I am in the social distancing, in the, um, the self-isolation, quarantine, whatever we call it. May you be at ease, sending loving kindness, sending that, developing that heart, mind, goodwill towards people that are, you want to, you know, stay six feet away as you're shopping uh, and doing things that you do need to do. Um, develop the loving kindness attitude uh, as you're at home, as you're, if you have to go to the grocery store run some errands, maybe you're an essential employee and you're still going to work. Natural for there to be some anxiousness, some fear going on around the pandemic. Loving kindness is the antidote to fear. So doing loving kindness practice, as well as just a mindfulness, a staying present. Our minds can spin out about what's the future going to be like coming back to here, to now. Somebody's asking, how do I find a refuge recovery mentor? All we have here are 12-step meetings. Right now is an amazing time to um, connect because we're online. Everybody's online. There's several refuge recovery meetings every day online, refugerecovery.org. Um, through attending the online meetings, you'll connect with people and you'll find an online mentor. Um, go to the meetings, say I'm looking for a mentor, uh, and if you keep going, you'll find someone. You'll find somebody there that has done the inventories, that's developed their meditation practice, and that is happy to help you, Robert. So I think you should be able to do that online. I saw a question here on Instagram. Let me try to get that. Yeah, another question about how do we find refuge in, um, in their area? How do we find support? Uh, RefugeRecovery.org, you know, that's our website. Um, and all of the lines are, all the meetings are online right now, or, you know, all of them. And you'll find um, people there, maybe from your local community, depending on where you are, or maybe at a, at a distance. And, and refuge is in a process of of re-emerging re and regrowing, and um, maybe maybe you'll be the person in your city to start a new meeting um, when the um, you know self isolation is lifted. Uh, but for now, online, come come join us at the online refuge meetings. There's morning meetings, there's afternoon meetings, there's evening meetings every day of the week. So for now, we're connecting online. There's a question about: Are there any uh, refuge meetings in Asia? I know of some refuge meetings in Thailand. Um, I know somebody was starting some, I think in China and maybe in Singapore, but I don't know. And um, you have to look on the refugerecovery.org website. That'll be a resource to see what's there. And if there uh, aren't any, then... Uh, then you can uh, start one.
somebody posted in the chat on, on Facebook the meeting locations online. Uh, on Instagram, there's a question here. For me personally, do you tend to gravitate more towards mindful or concentration meditations, personally? I don't know that I can really identify a, a, a gravitation. I feel pretty, pretty balanced in my practice. And that mindfulness is definitely a core foundation, present time, both in the sitting formal practice and in the, uh, all areas of my life. I try my best to establish the mindfulness. I do use concentration, um, especially when it comes to practicing forgiveness. Um, and developing loving kindness and equanimity and appreciation. So I do a lot of Brahma Vihara practice as well. Those are concentration practices. I do feel like they're pretty um, balanced. You know, we suggest this every other day um, process. I usually bring them in um, together into a sitting rather than separating them, but each of us can find our own way with that. A couple more questions and we'll end. Maybe last one, actually. Anytime I engage in compassion meditation, I try to get to present time awareness first through mindfulness of at least breath and body. If I'm struggling with engaging in present time awareness, is it worthwhile to still attempt the compassion meditation? Or should I stay with mindfulness? Um... Yes, it's worthwhile to, even if you're not settling, even if your mind is quite active, um, to do the f compassion. Get those neuropathways, get those phrases going in your heart and in your mind. And sometimes we just have to fake it till we make it. We don't have to always be settled in the uh, kind of mindfulness in order to do the compassion. Do it anyways. Just, just go for it. And alternate. Do mindfulness, compassion, or forgiveness, mindfulness. Keep them going. You know, we, we have to develop both of these. So we don't want to just get too focused over here or over there. We've got to bring all of this into our lives. So I think I'll end there for today. Next week we'll go more in depth into the... Uh, first factor of the Eightfold Path, uh, understanding, and we'll talk about karma, and we'll talk about the importance of forgiveness, and uh, the three characteristics, understanding reality the way that it is, and uh, how to respond wisely and get free. So I hope you join me next week um, for the conversation as we start to take the Eightfold Path section by section and have the conversation about it. Although I'm uh, the author of Refuge and speaking on behalf of, of Refuge World Services, uh, I'm also a member and you know sharing my own experience. And your, your experience may be different than mine. And so there's always an encouragement uh, in Buddhism to, to trust your own uh, deepest uh, experience, you know, to really commit and, and do the practice and, and stay sober and be of service. And you know some of your path will likely be different than my path is, has been. 
So uh, thank you for joining me. May our paths cross. If you can be generous, if you're in the uh, position, please consider making a donation to Refuge Recovery uh, World Services through the refugerecovery.org website. So thank you for that. If you can, there's a, on the Facebook, um, maybe we can put it up on the um, YouTube channel as well. Thanks for joining me. Try to be generous if you can, be of service. May any goodness that comes from this teaching, reflection be shared outward in all directions with all beings. May refuge recovery uh, continue and thrive and be a resource for all seeking refuge, seeking recovery. Together may we create a healthy community of recovery addicts. Thank you. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.